0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, Thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please, let us know if there's any questions you have, or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Isn't Jesus just the most beautiful thing in the world? I mean, really. Let's give Him some more praise, would you? It's unbelievable. You know one of the things that just blows me away about Christ is that... He makes himself known to me. Can you believe that? That the God of the universe would condescend to make himself known personally to me. He knows me by name. And he knows you by name, too. So, hallelujah. And he's here tonight. Amen? Amen. We sense his presence. And uh and we welcome him and are so excited to be in his presence. I'm glad to be here. I, I just tell you, I, I have, uh, the Lord has given your pastor and this church a wonderful name around the country. Do you know that? Amen. There are a lot of people. Yeah. Amen. That's great favor. That's great favor from God. And to whom much is given, much is Required, Yeah, I mean, that's a great responsibility, and you're fulfilling it well, and I'm just, I'm just thrilled to come out and, and see what's happening. Uh, so, well, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 85. Psalm 85, and we're going to look at something here in just a minute. You know, all of us face emergency situations in life. Sometimes it's financial emergencies. Anybody ever been in one of those? <laughs> Uh, sometimes it's with our kids. I've got eight kids. Uh, yeah, you're dead right about that. I mean, it just <laughs> makes me tired even saying it. And uh, 15 just had our 15th grandkid last week. And uh, um, but we have emergencies with our kids sometimes. Sometimes it's a health issue that that we have, and it's emergency. When an emergency happens everything stops right i mean when it's a real emergency you you change your behavior you do everything differently other things are kind of prioritized out of the picture because you take care of what matters when it needs to be taken care of sometimes this happens to a nation right Uh, in fact our government at times has called a state of emergency we're under one of those since since 2011 uh, 9-11 excuse me uh, we've been under a state of emergency in, uh, regarding terrorism. If you don't believe that, just uh, go to the airport and try to get on a plane, right? A little different deal than it was 15 years ago. And a state of emergency is described like this. It's a governmental declaration which suspends some normal functions of executive, legislative, and judicial powers. It alerts citizens to change their normal behavior and orders government agencies to implement emergency preparedness plans. So when the government calls a state of emergency, everything changes. We change our behavior. Uh, We start making uh, preparation. Uh, Things are different because we are in a state of emergency. Now, I wonder right now in the life of our nation... If God does not look at our land and see us in a national spiritual emergency. Now if that were true, it would seem like the people who know him would come to agreement about that, that we would understand what is really going on if we're listening to the commander-in-chief and we're paying attention to what's on his heart it would seem like he would call for us to change our normal behavior and it would seem that we would make some some special preparation to deal with a spiritual emergency in our nation and i believe that's exactly where we are and i'm going to ask you to do something here in just a few minutes when i come to the end of my message in just a little bit i'm going to ask you to make a serious adjustment in your life in light of the emergency that we're under i wonder it's not me asking this by the way it's going to be god asking this because it's going to come right out of his word i wonder if you'd do something i wonder if you would be willing right now to just put your yes on the table i mean it's god right His his will is good and acceptable and perfect. I mean, everything he asks of us is the very best thing for our life. So I wonder if even right now you just be willing to say, Lord, whatever you tell me to do at the end of this, this message, Lord, that's what I'm going to do. Amen? Wouldn't that just be good to do? Now, what we need desperately is what the Bible calls revival. And I know you understand this, but let me just give us a a working definition of revival. I love how Richard Owen Roberts described this, that revival is the extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God that produces extraordinary results. Would you just read that with me? The extraordinary movement of the Spirit of God that produces extraordinary results. Now, God's moving all the time, right? His Spirit's working all the time, doing all kinds of things. You couldn't breathe without God moving right now. But there are moments in human history when God chooses to manifest Himself. That word manifest means clear, visible, everybody recognizes there's no getting around what he's doing he chooses to open the heavens and to manifest himself in an extraordinary way that produces extraordinary results and he does this to bring a course correction to our lives and to bring us back into a right posture with Him, so His kingdom would come and His will would be done on earth as it's right now being done in heaven. And the psalmist understood this. And Psalm 85 is a prayer, really. It's just a cry to God for that kind of movement. Now, listen what He says in verse one. He he begins by recounting what God has done in the past. O oh Lord. You showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. There was a time in the past, Lord, where you withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. Now, here's his request. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace To his people, to his godly ones, but let them not turn back to their folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in the land. And when that happens, loving kindness and truth have met together, righteousness and peace kiss each other, truth springs up from the earth. Wouldn't that be wonderful right now? Truth springs up from the earth, righteousness looks down from heaven. And then here's a statement of faith at the end of his prayer. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before him and will make his footsteps into a way. Another, what what he's saying is, Lord, you're going to come. You're going to come. Your footsteps are going to walk right in to where we are. I'm going to ask you in a few minutes to make an adjustment in your life to unite with with hundreds of thousands of other believers in our nation in one united cry that God would manifest himself in fresh revival across our nation. A great spiritual awakening like we have not seen in our generation. And you say, Bill, why, why would you ask us to cry out? Why should, I, why should I give myself to extraordinary prayer? Why should I cooperate with the Lord in a whole new way, not quenching his spirit? I mean, why should I do that? Well, I'm, I'm thrilled you asked that question because the psalmist answered it. First of all, we need to cry out to God for revival because no one else can save us. Nobody. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we are in a real serious spiritual condition. Did you know? I know you don't feel it in Hope Church as much because you're in an incredible environment right here, an incredible church. But do you know that across the nation, 85% of our churches are plateaued or dying? 85%. 6,000 churches a year just shut their doors. They're going out of business. In Arkansas, this is happening at an alarming rate. Churches have become stagnant, and then they just die. They close their doors. Now, it's wonderful to see the new church planting movement that's begun. I believe it may be a preparation, new wineskins for revival and the harvest God's about to bring. But there are about 4,000 churches that are started every year, which is awesome. But we're closing 6,000 churches a year. And to stay up with the rate of population, just to stay up with it, we would need to start 10,000 churches a year. So you do all the math on that, and what you discover is that just to stay up with population, we're going in the hole 1,000 churches a month. We should be starting 12,000 churches altogether. Pastors are going out of the ministry, so many of them, I could name some statistics, but it's immaterial, but I mean just hundreds Hundreds of pastors every month are just quitting and giving up. And I know that you look around and you see this, the moral and the spiritual state of our nation. the Unbelievable division in our nation, right? I mean, just right down the middle, it's incredible. The division and the racial tension. You know, I, I would think by now we'd kind of be over that, right? But it's just like it's increasing in places. It's, un- it's unbelievable. And, and by the way, you know who's behind that ultimately, it's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, that's, that's the one who's behind all that. And he's having a heyday. It's like the walls are down and the gates are burned with fire, like Nehemiah said, and the enemy has free reign across our nation. In the midst of this declension in our nation, this, this, uh, this going down in our nation, there are many great churches, like Hope, that are doing great things. And God is using... Any church that's willing to step up to the plate and put their yes on the table and say yes to God, God will use you like crazy, right? But in the midst of all that God is doing in many great churches, it is not stopping the overall moral and spiritual decline of our nation. I don't know about you, but a few years ago I felt like we were on the cliff and I felt like we have gone over the cliff in our nation spiritually, and we are hurtling downward at an exponential rate real fast. Now, what in the world do we do? Well, I can't save us. You can't save us. There's only one that can save us, and it's the one we sang about just a moment ago, the resurrected and living Christ, right? Right? And we need him to come and bring a course correction that only a mighty national movement of God could bring to our nation. Samuel Davies, who is the, uh, they called him the Apostle of Virginia, he was the president of Princeton. Can you believe that? Uh, Back during the first Great Awakening. And Davies said this statement He said, There are eras when only a large outpouring of the Spirit can produce a general reformation now there's a cycle that uh, history has gone through and God's people have gone through over and over again let me just throw this up on the screen if you can see this cycle and the cycle is there's a time when we're walking in spiritual vitality and mission we're really walking with God and then we always decline we always kind of walk away the reason is that we have these three enemies the world the flesh and the devil right And they're pretty pretty strong enemies. And so we we start falling away, thinking there's a better way than surrender to Christ. When that does, God sends his discipline or judgment. Now, by the way, that's a wonderful thing. God's discipline and God's judgment is like pain to the human body, right? When you put your hand on a hot stove, if you didn't have this god created sensation called pain, you just burn right up. So when God sends his pressure on us, when we're walking away from it, it's his call to us to say, hey, you're about to go over a cliff. Come back here, right? So this is a wonderful thing, and it intensifies. And by the way, one of the, one of the worst kinds of judgment that God can possibly bring is when the Lord just withdraws his presence have you ever had that to happen to you personally you know the Lord you're a believer you know Christ is in you but all of a sudden you feel like he's a million miles away and so often in my life he's used that to get my attention because I want to tell you something the worst thing that can happen to me is to lose the experiential relationship with Jesus Christ So God puts his pressure, and all through history, when God has put his pressure on his people, there's this beautiful little phrase, it's all through the Bible, and and it goes like this, and all the people cried out. And all the people cried out. I could walk you through dozens of scriptures that say that or it's equivalent. And when that happened, listen, I've done my best to study every passage where this has happened in the scripture. I cannot find one single place in human history or biblical scripture when all of the people have humbly, repentantly cried out that God did not rend the heavens and come down. And he sends revival among believers. He brings us back to life again. You can't revive something that didn't vived, right? I mean, so that's a, that's a term for, for believers. And then he, the church wakes up, starts doing what it's supposed to do all along, and God sends awakening, spiritual awakening, to lost people. Now this is God's pattern, right? And, and I, one of the greatest authorities on revival that I know, Richard Owen Roberts, I asked him, I said one time, I said, you know, in terms of the judgment of God, uh, 1 to 10, 10 being the worst, I, I said, I guess you never really know where you are on that scale, right? But I said, if you were to guess, he's watched this for 85 years, I said, if you were to, to estimate where are we on the scale of the judgment of God, what would you say? He said, I think we're at 9.9. Folks, listen. You know why it's time to cry out to the Lord? Because only God can save us. But there's another reason. And that is this. God can save us, right? He can save us. Not only is he the only one, he can do it. He has done it, and he will do it if we will cry out to him. The psalmist prayed for revival. Look at it there in verse 9. And he prayed that glory may dwell in the land. Now, dwell doesn't mean, you know, come over and stay for an hour or two. Dwell means just settle down, right? I mean, when I flew in here and I looked at these incredible mountains and this beautiful valley and I've just been thinking about it the last 24 hours and I thought, man, what would it be for the glory of God just to settle in this valley? Just settle down like an atmosphere. That's what he prayed for, that the glory of God would dwell in the land. And the psalmist believed that God could do this that's why he's praying and praying in real faith the truth of the matter is that in our American history the first 150 years of our history God sent a nationwide revival every 30 to 60 years the first Great Awakening in 1735 right around that time second Great Awakening in the early 1800s it was one of the greatest movements of God lasted for about 20 years The prayer revival of 1857, 58, by the way, which had a direct uh, correlation to the Civil War and the abolition of slavery. Just study that out. It's beautiful. Revival was what the seedbed that led to that in 1860. And then 1904, 1905, the great Welsh revival that really was a worldwide movement dramatically affected America. Now, here's the sad thing. For the last 110 years we have had no nationwide movement of God. We think we can fix everything. Right? We just think well if it's not working let's just get a new program, let's invent something different. But you see nothing can do what God does when God comes with his manifest present and the glory of God fills the land. And I just want just to just to help us because, see, since we haven't had a movement, a nationwide movement like this in 115 years, we don't have any fathers or grandfathers that can tell us the stories that have a concept of this. And so our prayers are small and our faith is very weak about this. So I want to build your faith for just a moment. Do you know what revival does? The first thing that revival does is it revives the church. It just brings dead churches to life again. Now, let me give you an illustration. This is a crazy illustration. I know this could never happen, but just kind of (laughs) just play along with me a little bit, okay? So, uh, let's say that after tonight, one of you got so burdened in your heart that you said, man, I, I don't know what to do. I, I've got to cry out, and I want to invite other people to cry out with me for nationwide revival and for the glory of God to settle down on this valley. And, and so you, you went to Vance, and you said, hey, Vance, can, can, can I start a little prayer meeting? And, uh, well, sure, man, he's all over that. And, 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 you, and you type off some little invitations, and you put them up somewhere, and you decide to do it at noon so maybe some business people can come next Tuesday, let's say. And so it's hard to get a prayer meeting going. It is. So, so you kind of get the chairs arranged, and you, you show up, and, and there you are, and nobody comes. I mean, 12 o'clock, 12.15, 12.30, and then you hear somebody coming down, and you think, maybe this, and, and they come in, and one person, then another. By the time it's over, there's six of you. And you say, well, you know, it's not a, what I expected, but we're going to pray. And let's say that the Lord just moved in that prayer time. In a beautiful way. And, and you said, hey, guys, you want to meet next week? Yeah, let's meet next week. So the next week, you, you, you told some of your friends, and 20 people showed up. That would be pretty cool. And then the next week, you invited some more, and 60 people showed up. Now, listen, you'd think revival has come. 60 people have showed up in the middle of the day for a prayer meeting. And, and, and you came the next week, and 100 people showed up. You thought, man, what is going on? And it was so great and powerful. You said, hey, this is a crazy suggestion, but let's meet every day. So you met Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then the next Monday, Tuesday. And I know this could never happen, but but let's just say you just kept meeting like that, you know. And in three months, 50,000 people were meeting in Las Vegas every day to cry out to God for lost people and for revival. 50,000 people. Can you imagine, Vance, 50,000 people meeting every day for prayer. And some of you know, you're ahead of me, you know the story. The 1857 revival, that's exactly what happened. That prayer meeting spread up and down the eastern seaboard, all across the country in Portland, Oregon, 20 shopke- uh, 200 excuse me, shopkeepers signed a covenant that they would all close down their businesses so everybody could go to the prayer meeting at noon. Can you imagine a mall here just shutting down saying, hey, we're not going to sell anything. We, we need to pray. You know what that's called? That's called revival. <laughs> that would be revival. And God has done this, folks, before, and he can do it again. So revival revives the church. Secondly, it awakens the lost. Lost people find themselves by the Spirit of God just suddenly awakened to their lost condition and they start crying out for salvation. I know this is hard to believe, but in the Great Awakening, 15% of the American population came to Christ in two years. Now, just let me give you a little perspective on that. There there are 2 million people, I think, uh, from what I understand, roughly 2.2, something like that, in the greater Las Vegas area. If God did what he has already done before in our nation's history, in the next two years, you would see 300,000 people come to faith in Christ. Now, let me just dial that down a little more. That's 12,500 a month. Let me, let me just help you get this in your mind a little bit better. That's 2,800 people. That's like Pentecost. 2,800 people a day. So somebody calls Vance and says, man, I hear something's happening in Las Vegas. What's going on? He said, well, man, I don't know. Last month we had 12,000 people came to Christ. And they called him up the next month. He said, well, what happened? 12,000 more. The next month, 12,000 more. The next month, 12,000 more for 24 months. Now, you may not believe that's possible, but in the 1857 revival, in the height of that revival, now listen to this, in New York City, which was the epicenter of that revival, 10,000 people a week were coming to faith in Christ. 10,000 people this week, 10,000 people the next week? 10,000 people the next week? Do you think that would change Las Vegas at all? You think the schools would be any different? You think the strip would be any different? If 300,000 people came to faith in Christ in the next two years? Listen, God, only God can save us, but God could save us. And when he rends the heavens and comes down, it revives the church it awakens the lost and look at this it transforms culture i don't have the time to tell you all the stories about what god has done just in our history but in the in the welsh revival one of the pastors of the churches said that the mighty unseen breath of the spirit was doing in a month in a month more than centuries of legislation could accomplish I think about just some of our social ills. I, let's, let's just take one that just, just tears our heart at, and that's the millions of children we are aborting. Just millions of children. And, and you just think, God, what is going to stop this? What stopped those kinds of things in the past was when God came and did what only God can do changing the course of history so it transforms culture and if you're interested in church planning and missions revival advances the mission of Christ the kingdom of Christ I I could I could take a long time to explain this but do you know in history every major advance of the gospel around the world came on the heels of revival the haystack prayer meeting, which was the beginning of the American missionary movement, started right in the heart of the Second Great Awakening. The Moravian Revival happened after a day when God came. They called it the Moravian Pentecost when God showed up among the Moravian brethren and started a prayer meeting that lasted 24 hours a day for 100 years and really was the first since since, uh, Paul, the first great modern missionary movement. I could go on and on. Men that you know that are great men of God that we read about, most of them came out of the fires of revival. Listen, folks, why do we need revival? Because only God can save us, and He can save us. Would you say that with me? He can save us. He can do this thing, right? But I want to tell you the third reason. And I'm going to ask you in a minute to make a dramatic adjustment in your life for the sake of Christ's kingdom. And that's this. He is near. He's near. (laughs) I love this. In verse 9, the psalmist said, Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory, and glory is the word we use just to describe all that God is, that the glory of God would settle down in Las Vegas. little rock in our nation now we can't manipulate this you know we don't tell God what to do right but every sign that's happening right now seems to indicate that the Lord is knocking right at the door even the sad story of our spiritual decline in our nation that's the kind of moment when God sends revival But I want to tell you what's happening. I I serve in a team called One Cry that's devoted to uh, just uniting people across the United States to cry out to God for revival and spiritual awakening. One of the members of that team is a guy named Dave Butts who's the head of the National Prayer Committee. He has his thumb on what's going on all across America. He said to us, he said, Bill, we have done the calculations. We can prove this. Last year alone, there was there, we believe there were more people crying out to God for revival in America than any moment in our history. There are hundreds of prayer initiatives that are happening everywhere. You know, I hardly know a pastor, and, and it's just I've, I wrote a little blog about this the other day. It's fascinating to me that everywhere I turn, pastors are calling their churches to days of fasting and prayer for revival and spiritual awakening. I want to tell you something. I've been burdened about this for 45 years in my life. Fifteen years ago, you couldn't scare up a conversation about revival. You couldn't write a book about it. Nobody was interested in that. But now, as God has brought his judgment, and we see that we've tried the economic, we've tried the political, we've tried the material, we've tried all these things, nothing can save us but God. We're being shut up to God, and there's no better place to be, right? And God is moving, and all the signs, the interest, the passion, the prayer that's happening, the conferences that are beginning. Do you know before the Welsh Revival, there was a whole group of conferences that began to spring up? The Keswick Convention started right before the the Welsh Revival because the pastors are saying, we've got to teach and preach about the Holy Spirit and His power and what He could do if He would come in power in a life, a community, and a nation. And that's happening all across our nation right now. Now, but can I tell you something just even a little bit more personal that I watched with my own eyes? So several years ago in our church, uh, we just sensed we really needed the Lord in a whole new level. And that year, I personally, uh, the Lord just called me a time of fasting and prayer, and it was. Uh, I've I've been through a lot of those. it was just an extraordinary time i'll just tell you later on that year we called our church to 40 days of fasting real fasting and prayer and they did it they just did it sometimes we act like we're doing it we don't do it right but i mean all over our church people were just fasting and they were praying and they were crying out to the lord that he would come and in January of that next year, this was 2011, uh, we just felt like we needed to gather the people. We said, let's, let's gather the first Monday of every month because people will remember that. and We'll call it First Monday. It was real creative. And, uh, and let's just meet to pray. And lo and behold, a whole bunch of people showed up, and the prayer was just intense. It was just the answer is just different, you know. It was just like a whole new level. Guys would ask me about our church, and they would say, how's the summit doing? And I'd say, well, I don't know how to describe this, but it feels like there's gasoline on the floor, and it's just waiting for a match. I don't usually tell this, but I think you all would appreciate this. One, uh, one morning in March... I I woke up early, and I was kind of in that half-sleep, you know, you're in, and as surely as I'm here today, not in an audible voice, but the way the Lord speaks to His children, the Lord just said to me, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, just over and over again. I went to our staff prayer gathering that we have every Tuesday morning. I couldn't even talk about it. I couldn't even... I just, I could hardly tell him. I said, I I don't know, you know, maybe I'm losing my mind, but I just said, I just feel like the Lord said, I'm coming. So I took a microphone, I I asked the sound guy, and I put it right down here on the corner, just in a low stand. Nobody knew why I was there, but I thought, you know, if the Lord shows up, uh, the body is going to want to express itself. And so I told the guy, I said, I just want that down there every Sunday for a while. And on the first Sunday in April, I was preaching a mess. I was preaching on a series on the Holy Spirit, and I was preaching about the quenching of the Holy Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5. I'd never preached on that before. You know, you know what quench means, don't you? It means something is burning or moving, and you stop it. It doesn't mean you're starting something. It means something's already moving and you're stopping. And the rest of that passage, it says, do not quench the spirit. And then it says, do not despise prophetic utterances. Examine everything carefully, throw out the bad, hold on to the good, right? Now, there's a wide range of thinking about what a prophetic utterance is. <laughs> yes, you know, some say it doesn't exist. Some say, well, you know, every thought they have is a prophetic utterance, Right? Uh, but at the very least, what, what a prophetic word is, is when God speaks, right? It's God speaking. And, and what Paul says is, listen, don't despise it when God speaks. Don't treat it lightly. Don't play with this. Because if you do, you may be guilty of quenching the blessed Holy Spirit and i told our people i said now, let's let's say it like this let's say that i was preparing to preach for next sunday and sometimes pastors you know you're getting in your study and the lord just shows up and and let's say i was i was preaching on let's say praying for the lost perhaps and and All of a sudden, God just began to lay this message on my heart. It got heavier and heavier uh, until the point it turned from a sermon into a real message from God. And I told my wife, honey, you need to pray and my staff be praying. I don't know what's going on, but this is just all over me. Let's say I got up on Sunday and I just preached. And there's sometimes as pastors, we have this little out-of-body experience where you're preaching, but it's just like you're not even there. It's just like you're observing this. I mean, this happens every once in a while. A pastor's is a glorious thing. And let's say that God's spirit was just thick in the room, and it got quiet just kind of like it is right now. And God was speaking to people, and they were weeping. And after the service, they came out shaking their heads, saying, oh, pastor, I... have I'm so burdened, I'm so convicted, I've got to pray for the loss. The Lord has told me to pray for the loss, and one after another got the message from God. And then they went out and got in their cars and went home and didn't make one single adjustment in their life to cooperate with God. You know what happened? They quenched the Spirit, right? God was moving. God was calling his people. Can you imagine what would happen here if the Lord called 3,000 people at hope to pray for the lost? Do you think God would have some agenda? Something, some lost people he wanted to save? And he gave his messenger this, this, this message from God and he, and he faithfully delivered it and, and we said yes inside these walls and then we went out and we didn't do what God had told us to do. We would be despising what God said and quenching the Spirit. Pretty serious stuff. By the way, it's pretty serious stuff in here every week. And God's men bring you God's word. Because God wants to do stuff for lost people if we'll cooperate with Him. So I was about halfway through my message, and the Lord just said, Stop. And I I was preaching, and I just said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I got a really good second half to this <laughs> message killer illustration at the end you don't understand he was not impressed (laughs) he said don't quench the spirit i said okay and i just stopped and i told our people i said i think i think i'm i'm supposed to stop right here and as soon as i did a, a retired missionary sitting right about here he jumped up and he just cried out we've got to obey the lord right now he began to weep. He just exhorted our people, just to obey God. And people just started getting up and going to the, to the altar. And it was just beautiful. It was real, it was just beautiful. They just started responding to the Lord. And he kept speaking for a few minutes. And I walked down to this microphone and I got down by that mic and, and I just said to our people, I said, Look, I don't know what the Lord's doing right now, but whatever he's doing, don't quench the spirit, right? If he's telling you to go get right with somebody that you are crossways with, please don't quench the Spirit. If he's telling you to come get saved, please come get saved. If he's telling you to come pray for somebody uh, or seek prayer, just don't... Whatever you do, just don't quench the Spirit. And people were just moving all over the building. and, and, And this little lady comes up to me and she said, can I say something real timid? I said, well, sure, and I... held a mic I just kind of shepherded the microphone you know a little bit and and she shared something it was really sweet and I thought well that's great and maybe that's the end of it you know I was kind of looking around then another person came up said can I I share something yeah they shared and we went to prayer about that and then I looked up and there was a line of people and it went past the 12 o'clock hour past the 1 o'clock hour past the 2 o'clock hour I mean, God just moving wasn't crazy. I mean, nobody was jumping pews or anything. I mean, it was just this sweet, precious movement of God. A C-130 pilot that was in working the sound that day comes running down the aisle and said, Can I say something? I said, Yeah. He said, I'm a believer, but he said, I've never really followed the Lord in baptism. And the Lord tells us it's the first thing we're to do. And he said, Every time we have a portable baptistry we use, we would used it that morning, He said, every time somebody's baptized, the Spirit of God says to me, you need to go be baptized. And he said, I've quenched the Spirit over and over again. I am so sorry for what I have done hindering God's movement in this place. And he said, I want to get baptized right now. And he starts walking over the Baptist street, taking his shoes off. (laughs) And I thought, I got to get over there. He's going to baptize himself. (laughs) And when he... He came up out of the water. Everybody was cheering. Another lady's running down the aisle. She said, me too. That's my story. We baptized her in her street clothes. We, we don't do that normally in our church. And then another one and another one, and people were getting saved. I mean, it was just unbelievable. About 3.30, I just sensed, well, it's just time to, to tie a bow. I thought, you know, if this is all that happens, this is, this is one of these days you'll talk about the rest of your life. But we had a Monday, first Monday prayer meeting the next day. I said, I said, hey, come back tomorrow night. Let's just see what the Lord does. I came in, the room was packed. That service went four hours. And I I just can't, I don't have time to tell you what the Lord did. One, One girl came down and she said, My husband and I were married for 30 days and he committed suicide in my presence. She said, I'm a believer. And I'm so angry at God. I don't want to be angry at God. I don't know how to get over it. Please pray for me. I'm telling you, 50 women just, just mobbed her. And just without any instruction, just prayed heaven down. I have never heard my people pray like that. When she got through, one of her friends said, her name was Bailey. She said, Bailey doesn't have a car. She's lost her car. And so I reached down and got an offering basket, put it on the, on the uh, pulpit. I said, if anybody wants to, give Bailey doesn't have a car people just came by started pu- pulling money out of their pocket a guy walks in he, he says what's going on they told him he comes down and he's just crying he said you're not going to believe this he said yesterday my father gave me a 2003 Ford Explorer he held the keys up and he said he told me to give it to somebody he said will this do we brought her down gave her the car we took the money, it was about $3,000, about enough money for gas for a week, you know, and explore. <laughs> and And this just happened over and over again. I mean, it was unbelievable. Somebody, I, a 40-year alcoholic, I had personally taken to a treatment center twice with another guy. And you are kind of the guy that you thought, well, it's just, it's not gonna happen with this guy. He comes down to the halter, and he's, his legs buckled. Two men grabbed him. And he stood at that microphone. He said, I'm an alcoholic. I can't save myself. I tell you, my men just got around that guy and prayed, uh, prayed God down on him. And he's been sober to this day. I mean, just one after another after another. At the end of that night, I said, I, I don't think we can stop. I said, why don't you come back tomorrow night? and let's see what happened. The next night, that happened. People were being saved. I remember one night, we baptized 14 people in their street clothes, and and I said, let's come back the next night and the next, and that went on for five weeks, every night except Saturday. I want to tell you something. It was, as I've evaluated what that was, it was a mercy drop. It was the Lord saying to us and and many other people, God can do this. And just in central Arkansas, there are about 500 churches in central Arkansas, if just the same measure of God's blessing and reviving came to those 500 churches like they did to our church, in five weeks we'd see 32,000 people come to Christ. I wouldn't believe that that could happen except I know my history and I know my God. And he is able, amen? He is able. He is able. He is able. He is the great reviver, the shepherd and the guardian of our soul. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who came from heaven to do exactly this in the lives of men. And God can do this, folks. But he's asking us to cooperate with him. You said, Bill, you said a little while ago you were going to ask us to make an adjustment in our lives. Here, Here it is. I wonder if you would be willing to say, I'm not perfect. I know I'm gonna make mistakes. But by the grace of God, I wanna leave this place. And this week and the week after, and as God will give me grace to do it, I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit ever again. If He calls me to pray, I'm gonna pray. If He calls me to get up in the middle of the night, I'm not going to argue with him about how much sleep I need. Don't you think God kind of knows that anyway? He sleep in heaven, right? If he calls you to wake up in the... He might wake some of you up tonight at 2, 3, four o'clock in the morning. He often does this because he has somebody on his heart that he wants to put on your heart in prayer. So I'm going to ask you, Are you willing the best you can by the grace of God this week to not quench the Holy Spirit? Whatever he says to you, just do it. And that begins now. The second thing is would you be willing, because it's the pattern of God, it's the way of God, would you be willing to faithfully unite with others? and cry out for revival and awakening. Say, Pill, what does that mean? I don't know what it means for you. I just know that when we get desperate enough, we begin to cry out. So here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for you all to stand, if you would, for just a moment. And I wonder... Vance is going to be down here. Some of our pastors, if some of you need spiritual counsel and prayer. But I wonder if you're here and you would just say, Bill, by the grace of God, I am willing. The Lord saved me. He changed me. Everything about my life is different because of him. And the very least I could do is respond when he speaks to me by his grace. I don't want to quench the spirit anymore. I just don't. I I don't want to be the one in the church that's holding God back from what he longs to do among us and in us and through us. And I'm going to give my life. I don't know how to do it. But I'm going to ask, Lord, Lord, would you teach me how to begin to pray with unceasing prayer and to join? And there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the nation who are crying out to God for revival. And my voice, my voice is going to be consistently, faithfully joined with him to cry out to the only one in heaven and earth that can save us, but the one who is near and can save us now. If that's your desire, I'm going to ask you to just come down to the front, and we're going to pray together here at the front. Just come down all across. You may want to kneel. You may want to stand. But by the grace of God, this is what I want. I don't want to quench the spirit. I don't want to begin to cry out to God for revival and spiritual awakening. Come on down, and then we're going to pray for just a moment. If you need counsel, go to one of these men. If you don't know Christ, and your first step in not quenching what God has said is to say, I need to give my life to Jesus. Why why wouldn't you do that? You need to come to one of these men and say, I want to give my life to Christ. You just come right now. Come on. Don't quench the spirit. Just follow his prompting. I want to make this adjustment in my life. My yes is on the table to the Lord. Would you come? I was wondering if we're, as we're gathered here and Just in a spirit of prayer, would would you look this way for just a moment? In 1745, Jonathan Edwards, who was the principal figure in the First Great Awakening and was without question the greatest theologian we've ever produced in America, he saw the revival waning, and he wrote a booklet. The title of the booklet was a humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union among God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on the earth. If you read the title, you basically read the book, right? <laughs> Listen to what he said. The greatest theological mind in American history. A man who'd been to the fires of revival he said I'm trying to promote something that's what your pastor's trying to do this weekend we're trying to promote something we're trying to bring us into explicit agreement where we all agree together what the real problem is what the needs are and we're trying to join together as a church and with other churches across the nation in visible union so we can have a big crusade is that what he said? Jonathan Edwards, to join together in explicit agreement and visible union among God's people for extraordinary prayer. And that will bring, Edwards says, the revival of religion and a spiritual awakening among the lost. So you say, well, what is extraordinary prayer? Well, I will tell you something. It's more prayer, right? I mean, the prayer you're doing now is ordinary prayer for you. So if you say, I I want to pray in an extraordinary way, then it's just more prayer. It's foundational prayer, that somehow prayer would be moved from a side room in your life to the foundation of your life, right? Not over here, not little something that somebody else can take care of that you realize, I can't go a day without communing with the Lord of my life. And what, a, what an affront that he would make it accessible and I wouldn't give myself to commune with God who has everything that I need. So I want prayer to be foundational. I want it to be unceasing in my life. I, I really want to pray in an extraordinary way. But listen to this finally, and then we're going to pray. It's desperate prayer. Now, I, I illustrate this this way, and you, you forgive me. But if your daughter, I have four daughters, let's say your daughter went on a mission trip somewhere and God forbid she was abducted by terrorists. You couldn't find her. Nobody could find her. And and just forgive how graphic this is, but let's say that they took your daughter that you love and they, they raped her, molested her over and over again. And before that time, I would say, hey, would you pray for your daughter? And you'd stand up and say, well, Lord, thank you for my daughter. Pray that she is, does well, finds a good husband, uh, gets off the payroll. Uh, nice prayer, good prayer. But when you heard this news about your daughter, how would you pray? And then I ask you, would you stand up and pray for your daughter? How would you pray? You would cry out. You see, we just don't realize how the name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles, how the honor of God, the glory of God is being mistreated, how the bride is being mistreated. And what God wants us to do is cry with desperation for him to come. So I want us to do this for just a moment. I want you to bow your heads, all of us all across the room. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to pray for a moment like everybody else in the world prays. We don't do this much. But in most of the world, they all pray at the same time out loud. It's very common across the world. And God hears every prayer. We get a lot more praying done this way. And and what I want you to do for just a moment, I don't want you to just pray. I want to invite you to cry out. God a desperate cry that the Lord would hear our cry and answer from heaven Lord will you not revive us again that glory may dwell in this valley and in our land so as we begin to pray I want all of us out loud a desperate cry let's cry out to God together for revival and spiritual awakening. Are you ready? Let's pray. Cry out to him. Don't let up. listening cry out to him Precious Father, here we are. And Lord, we desperately need you. Lord, no one can save us but you. But Lord, we stand together, united in faith, and say, You can save us. Lord, you can revive your church. Lord, you, you can awaken people in a mysterious, miraculous way so that hundreds and thousands would be saved. And Lord, we ask that would happen so that you would be glorified, you would be worshiped. Lord, that people who are not loving you would love you. People who are walking away from you would walk with you right into eternity. And so, God, for your sake, And for your glory and for the honor of your name, we ask, oh, God, rend the heavens and come down. And, Father, we pray that you would come down on this church. It's been a great church. It's doing great things. Lord, we're so grateful. But, Lord, we know with you there's just more. Lord, there's just more. We pray for more for Hope Church. We pray for all the churches in this city, Lord, that whatever measure you bring to Hope, you would bring to every church in this city. And Father, we ask, Lord, it's just such a beautiful picture in my mind. Lord, we ask that your glory would just fill up this valley, Lord, just hover over this valley. Lord, just, just invade homes, invade lives that have been resistant to you, and God, just just rend the heavens, oh God, and come down in this place, and we pray, Lord, this city that's been known for so much, Lord, that is, is an affront to you, Lord, would become known as a place where the glory of God dwells, and the world would see it, and you would get even greater glory because you chose this spot to bring your presence. And all of God's people said, amen, amen.